How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. All right. So welcome, Emily. Um, all the you. way Thanks from New Orleans. Yeah. Um, so tell me what company you're with, um, a little bit about your, because uh, you're a pelvic floor specialist or a PT specialist? Yeah. Okay, cool. So I'm a physical therapist. I, um, I work at NOLA Pelvic Health. Um, we're also, I guess, better known as the Vagina Whisperer. Um, my, my colleague and my mentor has a pretty significant uh, following on Instagram. Um, and so our website is actually the Vagina Whisperer, but our clinic name is NOLA Pelvic Health. Um, and I, it's funny, you know, I started out my career in sports and orthopedics. <clears throat> um, and I did that for almost 11 years. And I... Um, I had my own two kids. I had a, a little bit of a traumatic second birth, um, and I was having some sort of residual physical limitations because of that. Um, and I was introduced to my colleague, um, and I actually became her patient for a little while. Um, and it, it just got me fascinated in the world of pelvic health and made me realize that, um, unfortunately, in this country, we're still sort of at a disadvantage when it comes to that. Um, and so it kind of ignited a fire in me to do that and now that's what I do that's amazing you know it's funny because I I'm a relatively new mom and I feel like when once you kind of come in this mom world so much like your views your perspective everything just changes yep and that's obvious I mean obviously but that's part of what made me want to do this podcast because I just I felt like there's such a lacking of like you know, you know this and she knows this, but there's no place where we, we as women come together to like Correct. empower and lift and talk and actually openly discuss. Yeah. And I think, you know, too, there's a, this massive disconnect, right? Like we get so much information when we're pregnant. Don't eat this. Do eat that. Um, you know, avoid these things or you can exercise, but here's what you have to do. Um, and then it's like, we have the baby and the guidance almost goes away overnight, right? Um, and I feel like a lot of the things that commonly happen to women postpartum get dismissed as normalcy, um, and they're not necessarily normal. Just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal. And then also, um, some of the less common things just don't get talked about. And so then if it happens to a mom, um, she feels lost, she feels isolated, she might feel shame. Um, and, and oftentimes moms really don't know where to go. Um, and, you know, so we get kind of both ends of the spectrum at our clinic, right? We do a lot of um, what we call childbirth prep um, sessions, which we offer virtual sessions for that and in-person sessions. But basically... It's that. It's bridging the gap from, okay, you're pregnant right now. This is how to care for your body. Um, and then giving you information on how to prepare for delivery, whether you're having a vaginal delivery, cesarean delivery, unmedicated, medicated, birthing center, non-hospital um, setting, um, and then how to care for your body in the immediate postpartum phases. Um, and th But then we also get women who had no idea that that existed, and we see them after they've had a baby and maybe they're having difficulties or they had some trauma or maybe that they just want sort of guidance on how to care for their body. Um, and so, you know, we kind of see all ends of the spectrum there. And then we even get some moms who are, you know, decades past their last delivery and are still having issues and, um, come to us really in a, a sense of desperation, I guess, you know, they've tried other avenues and, um, and, and they just don't know where to turn anymore. And, 
and you know i think that is the, what what we're missing the most right like there's just this huge disconnect in women's health care um all across the board right like I think, you know, we, we're doing women a disservice throughout pregnancy and delivery. And then we're also doing women a disservice as they age and they go through menopause and might potentially need a hysterectomy. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) (laughs) So much. So I'm going to pick a couple of those things because there are so many things. What are some of the very normal or common things you see that, you know, women might not address, but it should be. So things that, um, like I know, for example, I hear women who say, like when I was pregnant, I would sneeze and pee. Like that's right. common, but, but postpartum, it shouldn't continue, right? Like once. Correct. Correct. So this is kind of what we tell women, you know, delivery, whether it was a cesarean or a vaginal delivery, your, your tissues, your pelvic floor muscles, um, are gonna be basically what support your internal organs throughout the pregnancy. Um, so even moms who haven't had a vaginal delivery can have um, what we call stress urinary incontinence or, or urine leakage when they sneeze or cough or things like that. Um, that is normal in the first two weeks postpartum. After that, it should be progressively getting better and resolving completely. So if you're somebody who you go to your six-week follow-up with your OB or your midwife and you're still having leakage of urine, whether it be with picking up your baby or coughing or sneezing or exercise, um, that's not normal at that six-week mark. It is common, um, but again, it's not normal. Some other things that we see are pain with intercourse um, that is also not considered normal. Um, You know, I feel like a lot of times our first six-week checkup is like the go-ahead to go ahead and have sex. And, um, you know, not everybody might be ready at six weeks. And and if you are and, and your tissues are doing okay, then by all means go for it. But um, some women might not be ready for intercourse at the six-week mark. And if it's painful, um, that's a sign that your tissues are not ready or that there's something going on that needs to be addressed to kind of help your tissues heal a little bit better. Um, the other thing that is sort of normal in the first two weeks, but should progressively get better and better and eventually resolve is a sensation of um, pelvic heaviness or they feel like their insides are falling out, right? Well, I've had women be like, you know, it's weird. Ever since I had the baby, if I sit on the toilet or if I bend down to pick up something, I I sort of feel like I have a bulge or something's kind of like hanging in my vagina that didn't feel like that before. Um, Again, in the first two weeks postpartum, that's common um, and could be considered normal, but that should totally resolve after the first two weeks. That's so interesting. I wonder, um, okay, so, and I know that every woman, their vagina is different, the delivery, the pregnancy, mm-hmm. everything's super, like, obviously different. Yeah. But are there, or is there a, or one or two very basic um, pelvic floor exercises that you recommend, or is this specifically on let's do the examination and see? So, you know, really and truthfully, and I hate, it's such a, like a dismissive answer, but it really truly does vary for each woman. With that being said, um, in the very beginning phases, so like in the first two weeks postpartum, we recommend that every woman start 
trying to sort of do a Kegel. Um, now, mind you, it's going to feel like radio silence down there because your tissues just underwent the birth process and their fatigue and things like that. But a lot of times just sort of reconnecting that message from the brain to the pelvic floor mm -hmm. can sort of start the healing process. Also, even if you're only getting like a little bitty flicker of a contraction, a lot of times that can help to bring blood flow to the area, which can help with the healing as well. Um, the reason that we're careful to just tell women, oh yeah, okay, just go ahead and do a bunch of Kegels, um, is because if you're somebody who has pelvic floor overactivity or tightness, right, which you could have had that prior to pregnancy and during pregnancy and all that. Um, or if you have tightness related to scar tissue from um, a tear healing or, or things like that, you have to be careful that you don't overdo the strengthening because if tightness already exists there um, and you're doing all this Kegeling, then over time what's going to happen is the muscle is just going to get really tight and stay really tight and then it limits its function. So in other words, if it's already really, really tight, when you go to sneeze and you need it to contract really quickly to hold in the urine, it's not going to be able to do that. So a lot of times what we want to find um, when we're kind of guiding women on how to get back to feeling good and feeling like everything's working properly um, is a nice balance between Kegel strengthening and then also a lot of like stretching and, and things like that um, to make sure that we're just getting full mobility of the tissues and also full um, contractibility of the tissues, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, is the pelvic floor functions in multiple different ways, right? So if we're sneezing or coughing or jumping um, or doing something rapid, that's going to require us to have a, a really maximal rapid contraction, okay? But if we're rocking our baby or wearing our baby or exercising or walking or, or just going about our day-to-day -day activity, that's more of a sub-maximal longer hold kind of contraction. And so we're going to have to rehab our pelvic floor in that way, right? So we're going to have to retrain both of those various different um, types of contraction. And that's what's really great about the pelvic floor evaluation is that we can assess all those different things. So we might have a patient who has a really good low load, long duration hold, but can't get that quick activation right. or vice versa. Um, and so ultimately, you know, if you're having any sort of dysfunction, I really would recommend seeing a pelvic floor PT. Um, and that can kind of, it, we can just do a really thorough exam to ensure that we're figuring out what's going on with your tissue specifically. But I would say that working on the various different types of Kegels, so like quick, like a quick, like a quick, like a, uh, or contract, hold for a few seconds, relax, mm -hmm. contract, hold for a few seconds, relax. Um, as, as we use in the clinic, and this seems like a weird analogy, but it actually something about it clicks in your brain. Um, it's like drinking a drink that's the consistency of a smoothie through your vagina with a straw. If that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so it takes so it takes a little more suck than just like if you're drinking water or something like that. Yeah. Right? And so um, we use that cue a lot because it's not uncommon for, especially after delivery and pregnancy, for women to be like, I have no mental connection with down there. Like I can't recognize what I'm doing. Um, I feel like I'm trying to activate and nothing's happening. Um, and so. That's a lot of our cueing that we do. Um, some of the stretches that we recommend that are, are really good to sort of balance out that overactivity um, or that tightness are simple yoga poses like deep squat, butterfly, pigeon, um, 
cat cow, child's pose. Those are all things that are going to kind of open up the pelvic floor and open up the hips and kind of help the pelvic floor relax. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that we recommend too, that's really easy and really um, not going to be harmful at all, no matter how, what stage you are, um, is diaphragmatic breathing. And that's like those big belly breaths that people encourage you to take in yoga and things like that. And the reason why that's so helpful for pelvic floor relaxation is that the diaphragm and the pelvic floor move the same way. So when we take a big breath in, the diaphragm and the pelvic floor drop down and lengthen. When we exhale, the diaphragm and the pelvic floor contract and draw up and in. Mm -hmm. So we can use that big belly breath to sort of encourage the pelvic floor to relax. So typically, as long as our clients are um, getting a good balance of Kegel exercises and um, relaxation exercises, then things are fine. Um, When you run into problems is if somebody has overactivity and all you're doing is Kegeling or if somebody has weakness and all you're doing is stretching. Um, So a lot of times it's just going to take a balance. You got it. Um, With that, something that I heard at one point with the analogy of the pelvic floor, it's almost like if you think about a tissue with all four sides and pulling it up Correct. rather than just the Kegel, you know, I guess, because I think that most women and now diving in deeper to this mm. vagina world and, you know, <laughs> pelvic world and woman world, most women have never really looked at their vagina, no. which, <laughs> which, you know, they're doing themselves a disservice because they yeah. should see it and know what's going on now. Like, Yes. And I remember after, so after I had my little one, I had an episiotomy and I had to look because I was like, I need to see what's, yeah. because it, it is, it feels like a complete catastrophe. So I need to see yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but it's just funny because the more that I talk with them and they're like, yeah, I never looked down there. And I'm like, why wouldn't right. you, you have to look down there? Yeah. It's, it's crazy. You know, we even get patients and I, and I like, I'm saying this for education purposes, not to make fun of anybody, but we get women who don't even realize that the urethra where urine comes out and the vaginal opening are two different holes. Like we have some women that think urine is the same or like urine comes out of the same place that you have sex. Um, and so, yes, unfortunately there's like not a lot of body autonomy. There's not a lot of body awareness. Um, I, I have patients who are like, well, wait, you use the word vulva, but you're looking at my vagina. And so they don't even realize the difference between um, the vulva and the vagina. <laughs> and so, yes, you're right. Not a lot of women look down there, nor are they aware of, of the anatomy down there. So. I need to include a little map here. I'll do yes. a little pop-up map so women can see what's going on. But it's an interesting thing because it's um, – I have a girlfriend who I had come on here and she did a at home birth and had a midwife mm-hmm. and she had something that she said is like kind of rare, which was a labia tear. And yeah. yeah. And we didn't even have a chance to get into it, but I was thinking after the fact, how does that even like occur? Well, yeah. How does it occur? But also how does it heal and how does that affect like, you know, sex uh, after and orgasms and all that stuff? Yeah. Because that goes So it's interesting. I can give firsthand experience on that because I also had the same um, situation with my second. Um, So both of my deliveries I had in a hospital 
unmedicated. Um, my first one, I had to be induced. She was late. It was beautiful delivery. I hardly tore. Everything was fine. My second, um, I had what they call precipitous labor, which means like just really, really, really rapid labor. So I started having contractions at 5 a.m. By 7.36 a.m., he was born. Wow. Um, yeah. And so I don't know if this would have happened anyway or if um, this is because he came so quickly, but he was basically face first. So when babies are delivered vaginally, their face should actually be facing your rectum. And that allows for their skull to kind of drop under your pubic bone and come out. But sometimes babies don't turn and they'll come out face first. Um, and so it's you're more likely to have a labia tear um, if your baby is face first. Um, if it's either a really sort of rapid uh, pushing phase, which is what happened to me, um, or you know, sometimes it's just positioning, um, and how they come out. So, um, basically, sorry, I'm plugging this. It's okay. Um, can you hear me still? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting because it depends on the severity of the labial tear as to whether or not they're going to stitch that. Um, every once in a while they'll get what they call, um, brush burns. So you'll get like a, like a teeny tiny little tear just in the initial skin right there on the labia. And those typically heal on their own and don't require any stitching. Um, occasionally you can get tears that go all the way up into the urethral tissues or the clitoral tissues. Um, and so when you have tears like that, um, they're oftentimes going to require stitching, but then they're often also going to affect urinary function and sexual function. Yeah. So, um, from a standpoint, we'll start with sexual function from a standpoint of sexual function. Um, we have, and I wish I should have had, I meant to grab my model and I forgot, but anyway, um, you have your clitoral body and then over your clitoral body is what they call the clitoral hood. And it's just tissue that covers the clitoral body so that when we're going about our business, it's covered, right? right. Um, but that, that tissue needs to move kind of back and forth so that we can be aroused, we can orgasm, all those sorts of things. If the tear extends into the clitoral hood or into the clitoral body, um, a lot of times as it heals, it can get scar tissue um, or tissue restriction. Um, and so what will happen is it can limit the movement of that clitoral hood, but it can also limit sensation. So a lot of women that I've had, and this this was my personal experience. So, so my labial tear kind of went all the way up the right side and like into my clitoral body. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so had to have a lot of stitching. Um, and it was interesting because it started out as numbness, right? Like it just, I just felt nothing basically for the longest time. Um, and then it was interesting because as my sensations start to come back, it was like hypersensitive. It was almost as if like anything touched it. I was like, Oh, that that's too much. And it wasn't, I hate to call it pain because that wasn't really the right word. It was more just like, it almost felt like it was raw and like anything touching yeah. it was really sensitive. Um, and I've actually had a lot of patients um, complain of that as well. And that's not uncommon when you have like nerve healing and things like that. It'll start out kind of numb and then, and then it's got ab what we call abnormal sensation, right? So touch that should be good touch or soft touch or just normal touch will feel painful. Um, and that can affect intercourse, right? Like it can either make you avoidant of intercourse. It can make you, 
um, unable to orgasm, unable to be aroused. And a lot of women, um, this can affect, understandably, it can affect them emotionally, you know, like, I know I went through this period where I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, I don't even want to have sex anymore because I'm broken and like, I, I can't even have an orgasm. And then, and then oftentimes we have really, I mean, we're blessed in our, in our um, clinic that most of the partners that we get that come in are super supportive and wonderful partners. And so um, they're, they're usually down to, to help or be educated on, on kind of whatever they can do to help their partner. Um, but I know a lot of, a lot of women feel like, I don't even want to waste time. Like my partner is going to think I'm not into this and, and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, the good news is, is there's a lot you can do to help the tissue heal or a lot of a therapist can do to, to, um, help the tissue heal. Some of that is might require, um, kind of daily moisture to the tissue. So something as simple as vitamin E oil to the tissue or something as significant as like um, topical estrogen cream that your OBGYN might prescribe, mm. um, just dependent on how the tissue is healing. The other thing that we can do is a lot of um, scar tissue mobilization to the area, believe it or not. So we'll do what we call like labial skin rolling, which kind of looks, if I can like show you on my hand. So yeah. if this is my labia, we're just kind of taking our thumb and our index finger and just kind of rolling it gently, not, not squeezing hard. It shouldn't be painful. Um, but our goal there is to sort of bring blood flow to the area, um, kind of help the area start to heal, reduce any sort of tissue restriction that they're having, and also kind of desensitize the area so that they're not having numbness or hypersensitivity. And so that their sensation is, um, normal, if you mm -hmm. will. The other thing that that's really important with, with tears like that are checking the surrounding tissue. And that's and that's honestly with a labial tear or a perineal tear, right? We always want to check the surrounding connective tissue, like the inner thighs, the lower abdomen, the, the butt muscles. Um, believe it or not, we hold a lot of tension in our pelvic floor, mm -hmm. um, especially when we've had trauma to the area. And so if you've had a tear or, or painful sex or any sort of trauma to the area, we have a tendency to sort of like clinch all those muscles that surround the pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of times that can feed into some of the issues that directly affect the vulvar tissues or the vaginal tissues or the pelvic floor muscles. So we always assess all those external tissues as well, just to make sure that if there's any restriction there, we're addressing that also. The other thing in regards to your label tearing is that that can affect urinary function, right? So again, it can be something as minute as a tear in the labia right near the urethral body, or it can go all the way into the urethra or the urethral body, which in that case, they could have everything from um, difficulty holding their urine, uh, difficulty initiating the flow of urine when they sit, mm -hmm. uh, difficulty sort of sensing if they've finished urinating or if they still have to go some, they could have some leakage after emptying. Like, so they sit on the toilet, they pee, they stand up and a little bit leaks out. Um, but the same way we would address that the same way by like working on that connective tissue and making sure that scar is healing well, and then kind of retraining those muscles. Like, okay, this is how I want you to work when I want you to hold the urine in and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, it makes sense though, that it's almost like when you don't use it, you lose it. Right. Yeah. So like yeah. that down, that area down there has so much blood flow that mm -hmm. theoretically, if you, if you're not using it and you know, orgasming or having sex yeah. or whatever, then it's just going to get rusty and in more pain and it will be harder right. to move forward. It kind of seems right. like. 
Right. Well, and, you know, um, there's this really wonderful book um, called, uh, well, there's a couple wonderful books. One is called Come As You Are. Oh. Um, <laughs> and the other one, the other one is The Body Keeps the Score, right? Okay. And I really like, um, especially The Body Keeps the Score, because it talks a lot about the emotional and, and psychological um, aspects of pelvic health, right? And and I, I think, you know, it's sort of a slippery slope because you don't want to say like, Oh, well, that's an emotional component because I think a lot of women already feel dismissed and quote unquote crazy. Um, and that's by no means what this book means, right? Like the pain and the symptoms that these women are experiencing are very real and very valid, but there's a huge psychological and emotional component to our pelvic floor and how it functions. And we can hold an extreme amount of tension in our pelvic floor. Um, you know, it's, I, I joke about it, but I feel like right after the pandemic, I got tons of moms that were like, I'm peeing on myself all the time now. And I wasn't doing that before. And I don't know why, but like I have all these symptoms now. And I, you know, this is just guessing or my just thoughts on this, but I feel like, you know, we've all been so stressed because of the pandemic that um, it's, it would not shock me. And I've found clinically that most of my patients are just really holding a lot of tension in those muscle groups. And um, sometimes we don't even notice it the same way that you might hold tension in your shoulders. And every once in a while, you're kind of like, man, my shoulders Mm -hmm. killing me, but you don't really realize until somebody gets in there and gives you a massage. Like, oh my gosh, I really was like holding a lot in there. Um, And so, and then you add to the fact that most of us who have had babies have had some form of pelvic trauma. Like even if you had this beautiful delivery and you didn't tear your tissue still underwent this massive change. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I don't think we allow enough healing time to those tissues. And subsequently we get a lot of tension after. Yeah. Speaking of the tearing, not tearing to, uh, cause I feel like there's this, um, and I don't know what it is. So you would know the truth behind this to tear or to be cut. Mm-hmm. What's because they say to be cut is better than be to rip, but what's the professional say? Uh, so according to a lot of the most recent research, um, letting your body tear on its own, if it's going to tear is a little bit more beneficial. And, and the only reason for that is that if they have to do an episiotomy, it's automatically a grade two tear. Um, it's possible that you might tear and only have a grade one tear. Um, and, and so ultimately our whole goal with childbirth is to uh, have as little trauma to the tissues as possible, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I definitely think that, and the research supports this, that there are situations in when in which episiotomies are necessary right like if there's medical emergency with the baby or if you know there's medical emergency with the mom or or other varying situations um but for the most part most of the current research supports more kind of letting you tear on your own versus episiotomy Mm -hmm. yeah it seems like the more that i'm diving in this the more it's going back to the holistic midwives Mm -hmm. you know this let your body do what it's made to do just, yep. it will, you know, your body will release these hormones. It will be fine. Yeah. And another, it's interesting that you bring up, like, let your body do what it's going to do. Um, I feel like 
there's a lot of coached pushing out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is like, okay, hold, now hold your breath and push, 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 right? Um, and really, I think what coached pushing has done has kind of made pushing this way more aggressive than it needs to be, right? Um, <clears throat> believe it or not, the pushing doesn't even really need to be that intense or that aggressive. And the reason for that is that our <laughs> uterus is doing the work to expel the baby. They actually call it the fetal ejection reflex. But <clears throat> basically, all those uterine contractions that you're having are to push the baby out, right? Um, and so we get a lot of situations where either the patient is pushing when they're not having a contraction or they're holding their breath and pushing or they're pushing for too long or they're pushing really, really, really aggressively. Um, and all of those situations just put a lot of unwanted stress on our tissue. So a lot of what we encourage our patients to do, whether they're medicated or unmedicated, is only push when you're having a contraction. That way you ensure you're allowing your uterus to do the vast majority of the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not kind of over pushing with your pelvic floor. Um, make sure you're exhaling as you push. Mm-hmm. So breath holding is not great for many reasons. One, it can cause what's called like a valsalva response where essentially you're... And you're like increasing your pressure, increasing your heart rate. It can make people have what's called a vasovagal response, which is where you pass out or or things like that. Um, Yeah, which is not ideal. Uh, The other thing is that increasing all that pressure in our abdomen puts a ton of stress on our pelvic floor muscles. And for women who are at risk of diastasis recti, it can put you at higher risk for that. Um, So we encourage women to exhale as they're pushing. Now, in, in our childbirth prep courses we teach it like a right realistically when you're in the midst of labor it's probably not going to look that pretty right it's going to be more of like a guttural moan or a yelling or things like that and that's okay um our whole goal here though is to make sure we're not breath holding so that we're not putting all that stress on our tissues and to make sure that we are pushing as effectively as possible without over pushing with our pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Definitely. Well, and I think that that, um, do the exhale and the effort only makes sense because it's exactly what you're doing when you work out, right? Like you Correct. exhale Correct. on the effort. And I know like being, I was in fitness for a very long time and you know, people come to class, you're teaching personal privates, whatever. And people don't know when to breathe. No, they don't. Like they really, they, they forget to breathe for one. Correct. Or they are breathing on the wrong part of the motion. So it is, Correct. it makes sense. Exhale on the effort. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So my other question along those same points, the perineal massage mm-hmm. to do or not to do? So um, the really old research done from years ago, looked at perineal massage in the delivery room, like while you're crowning. And that showed to have little to no uh, benefit, right? Which makes sense. You're not going to like train for a marathon at the starting line, right? Um, but the more recent research that's sort of in the process of being done and they've gotten some initial sort of findings back but they haven't published it yet um, is showing that perineal massage, when done from like 34 to 35 weeks of pregnancy on, about two to three times a week, has actually shown to reduce the likelihood of tearing um, and and kind of improve the mobility of the tissues. So my answer is always yes, because it can't guarantee 100% that you're not going to tear, but it's not going to hurt. 
and there's research there to support it. I definitely see that and I get it because, you know, and I'm not into it, but I, you know, there's these crazy pornos, right? Where there's all sorts of things going up there. And yep. obviously these women have, they're in pleasure or, and, or they've learned how to relax those muscle muscles right. and, or they've done enough to really stretch it out. Yeah. So it makes you wonder like, why, because there are a lot of contradictions on, yeah. you know, stretch it, massage yeah. it, do, don't. And it's like, well, it only makes sense that you should. Yeah. Well, and I think too, a lot of times, um, we get so caught up as a society and looking at the pelvic floor and the vagina as like, uh, either a sex organ or a reproductive organ, um, that a lot of times we forget that it's a musculoskeletal system uh, and it responds very similarly to other musculoskeletal systems. The difference is that it also helps with things like peeing and pooping and sexual function. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, in some ways it's different than other musculoskeletal systems in the body, but it very much is still a musculoskeletal system and responds very similarly to other muscles in our body. Um, and, and the reason why people are always like, well, what's the reason, what, you know, what's so important, um, about perineal massage or why would we do that? Um, and, and the main reason is the, the perineum is the area that's going to sustain the most amount of tension or, or stretching during delivery, because that's right where the baby's crowning. There's a lot that connects into there. I mean, your pelvic floor muscles connect into the perineum, um, the, your external anal sphincter, uh, your glutes, your inner thighs. There's just a lot, a lot, a lot that connects at that one little area. Um, and most people, it's not like our perineum is huge. I mean, it's like little bitty, right? And so there's not a lot of like room for it to stretch. And so just the more prepared we can have our tissues, um, the better. Now, that doesn't guarantee that you're not going to tear. Right. I mean, um, I've still, I've had women that did all the right things and still tore. And then I've had other women who were like, yeah, I didn't do anything to prepare for this delivery and I didn't tear at all, but now I have this or whatever. So some of that is just genetics. Like what is your connective tissue like genetically? Um, some of that is other factors. Like what do you do for exercise? What is your, um, you know, your sexual and uh, not sexual, um, gynecological history. Mm -hmm. So like, have you had other traumas in the area? So it depends on a lot, but by and large, I think the research supports that perineal massage can be beneficial. So why not? This is the way I look at it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no harm, no harm, no foul. Yeah. Um, what do you have any, um, input or kind of, going back to us, um, to women being a little more, um, familiar with their parts, their lady parts, when it comes to coming, when it comes to it, mm -hmm. orgasming, do you have any suggestions with like, cause I know on your blog, your, the blog, there's like a, and I'll include the website and all this good stuff, yeah. but there's like a ton of different things on there. Um, I was, I don't remember if I saw anything about orgasming and, or toys or, Anything like this? Because I feel like that's a huge. Yeah. So we have a running list of um, blog topics. So we'll have to add all this to the list. But yeah, I mean, 
you know, I think everybody's different in terms of like what they like and what kind of turns them on. Um, what I will say is that similarly to having your tissues being able to function by holding in urine and, and things like that, sexual function is the same, right? So there's three layers of the pelvic floor. I'm really upset with myself that I don't have my model, but um, the very first layer is like right at the vaginal opening. So like literally, if you stick your finger in, you're like one knuckle in and that's the superficial layer, okay? That layer controls orgasm, arousal, lubrication, opening and closing of the urethra, opening and closing of the rectum, all those things, okay? And then you've got your deeper layer, which that's more of our like postural layer that helps support our organs and, and the baby and stuff when we're pregnant. So similarly to holding in urine and, and fecal matter and things like that, if we have overactivity in that superficial layer, what needs to happen for us to orgasm is that layer has to be able to contract, relax, contract, relax, contract, relax. Mm -hmm. If there's tightness or weakness in that layer, right? Um, that's not going to be as effective, which is going to make it more difficult for you to orgasm. Mm -hmm. Um, we also have some women who believe it or not have pain with orgasm. Um, is it because they're, they're holding their tightness there? Is that what it is? Typically, typically. So basically what, what a lot of times what happens with that is, um, they might not have pain with intercourse itself. So they might not have pain with penetration or anything like that, but once they orgasm, they have a lot of pain and a lot of times, yes, that's because there's Horrible. really significant tightness of that superficial layer. And so when you orgasm, that's basically like maximal rapid contraction of that layer. And so they're essentially getting like a, a Charlie horse, if you will. Oh my gosh, that's horrible. How yeah, it's awful. <laughs> um, and the other thing that, that is really, I think relevant for our postpartum moms, especially if they're nursing or breastfeeding um, is that when we're nursing or breastfeeding, our estrogen drops, okay? And when our estrogen drops, our tissues are not as well hydrated as they should be. They're not kind of as plump as they should be. Estrogen is what keeps our vulvar tissues nice and healthy and plump and, and lubricated and things like that. So if our tissues are dry and a little bit frail and the friction from intercourse is causing pain, then we're going to guard some more and tighten up more, mm -hmm. and then it's going to be even more difficult. So what I what I tell all of my postpartum moms is lather on as much lube as you can, and then when you think there's no possible way you can put any more lube on there, put some more, right? <laughs> um, and again, like we mentioned with the labial tears, they might have such significant dryness that they might need some top in, um, or they might need vitamin E oil to their tissues daily. The other thing I will tell you is all these like fancy lubes that have like tingly or warming or all these things, those are really not great for our vulvar tissues, right? It's going to irritate our vulvar tissues. It can make our vulvar tissues dry over time. It can cause pain. Um, so in terms of keeping our vulvar tissues healthy for sex, Always use a um, water-based, glycerin-free, paraben-free, scent-free lube. Um, and that way it's not going to irritate your tissues. Um, and also that way it's going to hydrate your tissues the way you want. The other thing I will say too is that if you are nursing or pumping or early postpartum, and so you're, that kind of that hydration to the tissues hasn't quite yet 
um, gotten back to where it should be. Um, foreplay is always a great way to bring good blood flow to that superficial layer. I know it's hard when we have new babies to like, most of us are just trying to get it in when we can get it in. But um, if you can take a little extra time, I think a couple reasons why that's great. One, it's going to bring some really great blood flow to the area. Two, um, a lot of times it, it sort of eases you into it and takes away some of the anxiety, like, oh gosh, this is going to hurt. Like I'm nervous about any sort of penetrative intercourse. Um, and so I think it can kind of make the woman a little bit more comfortable, be like, oh, that touch actually feels good and not painful. And it helps you relax a little more, which over time is going to be good because we want those muscles nice and relaxed um, for the duration of intercourse, right? Um, the other thing is, is that, and I always tell patients this, like, there's no rush. If you're postpartum, even if you get the go ahead from a from your physician to try intercourse, if you try it and it's painful, my advice would be to wait. Because as I mentioned, we hold a lot of tension in our pelvic floor. So every painful experience is going to most likely increase any of that pelvic tension, increase any of that pelvic guarding. Um, and so then the next time you're already apprehensive about it hurting. So ideally, we want you to have what I call like positive pelvic experiences, right? So we want you to have enjoyable touch. So let's say maybe you and your partner try penetrative intercourse and it's really painful, but you can tolerate foreplay or oral. Um, that's a great place to start because then it's going to get you comfortable with touch again. You're going to have a positive experience um, and it makes you less apprehensive about the next experience, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Definitely. Um speaking about those parts specific th those parts down there specifically mm -hmm. what is um because i remember and i don't know exactly but generally and you'll be able to kind of pick up where i'm at with mm -hmm. this so when you are very pregnant they'll swipe the cervix mm -hmm. to induce your labor or something like a membrane sweep yes yeah, yeah. so they'll do a membrane sweep everybody has a mucus plug right and what happens like for labor to start is you have to use your lose your mucus plug the baby has to be fully effaced or like right up against your cervix um and then what happens is your cervix just slowly starts dilating um for people who either are not losing their mucus plug or their cervix is having a really hard time dilating they can get in there and do um and physical therapists don't do this. This would be like your midwife or your OB, um, but they can get in there and do what's called a membrane sweep where they're basically like sweeping that membrane around your cervix to try to help promote it dilating. Mm -hmm. um, it's usually, it's usually pretty uncomfortable. Um, I've had patients be like, wow, that, that I was not expecting that to hurt. Um, but yeah, it's usually pretty uncomfortable. And I've had some patients who have been like, a week and a half late, gotten a membrane sweep, and it still didn't help. And then I've had other patients who their their OB was like, ah, well, you're like 39 weeks, let's just do a membrane sweep. And then they went into labor. Um, so it really is just sort of dependent on a lot of variables. But uh, yeah, they can do that. Very interesting. I had a girl on, and um, she was saying that she did it because, mm -hmm. like, she did it herself. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, I don't know why or what happened, but it was just interesting because I'm like. I remember they never mentioned it to me. And I think my sister was like, cause I went to almost 42 weeks Okay, yeah. and my sister was like, well ask. And I, I went in and I couldn't remember. And then obviously I still can't remember the name of it, the membrane yeah. sweep. And um, but yeah, anyhow, that is an option for ladies listening. Yeah. Yeah. That is an option. And you know, like 
I always try to tell patients this. Um, if you're someone who is really wanting an unmedicated delivery, like let's say your goal is to go completely natural, no epidural, or maybe you're birthing at home or something like that, um, and you're going into the 41-week, the 42-week realm, there are ways to induce labor without the use of Pitocin. Because I know um, like Pitocin does make the contractions a lot more intense and it makes it a lot harder um, to go unmedicated. And so there are ways that you can induce labor um, without Pitocin. A membrane sweep is one of them. Um, there are other things called Cervidil or Cytotech, which are, which are suppositories um, that they'll put in in the hospital or, or at the birthing center um, that are supposed to soften or ripen your cervix mm -hmm. um, and help it kind of make it easier for it to dilate. There's also what they call a, um, a Foley balloon. So they can basically insert this little catheter with a balloon that kind of manually over time opens up your cervix. Um, so there are options. And then, you know, for, for patients who are going unmedicated, movement is great, right? Like, so, you know, the longer you can be up moving around, kind of getting into some of those positions <clears throat> that open up that pelvic inlet and open up that pelvic outlet to allow that baby to drop down. Those are some other really great natural ways to try to induce labor and kind of, mm -hmm. and kind of get the ball rolling. And those, the ball I think is very, very helpful. Oh yeah. Yeah. The ball is wonderful, um, especially for people who find that um, movement is a really good means of pain management for them, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, if you're in a lot of pain, because ultimately, what what I and what I tell all my patients is, ultimately, we want you as relaxed as possible, right? Because the more relaxed you are, the more relaxed your pelvic floor is, and the, the easier time you're going to have with the pushing. Um, so, if you're somebody who your pain management technique is movement the ball is great for that i mean for so many reasons mm -hmm. um so yeah i mean i i think that's a great option awesome um and what other maybe one other thing before we wrap up um yeah. common um i don't know whatever you see that you think is you know important to share for women um so I think my biggest other thing, and this is like kind of my little personal soapbox um, and, and kind of like most of the clientele that I see in our clinic. So I'm a CrossFitter. Um, I'm a former distance runner turned CrossFitter. Um, and I, I CrossFitted through both of my pregnancies, um, modified, of course. And I unknowingly, because uh, I wasn't in pelvic health at the time, I was still in orthopedics, I, I unknowingly went back to CrossFit way too soon um, after my second was born and, and subsequently did some damage um, to my tissues. And so I, I think the biggest thing, um, a couple, and I'll touch on a couple things with that. One, we as a society have this term bounce back or get back to normal, which I hate because, um, you know, your tissue is not ever going to be the same. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be fully functional and totally healthy, but it's not ever going to be the same and that's okay. Two, it just took you 10 months to grow this tiny human. It's normal for you not to be back into the gym right away, mm -hmm. right? And this is especially true for women who are engaging in high level activity like CrossFit, Orange Theory, running, hiking, you know, a lot of those activities that are going to be um, really demanding on our core and our pelvic floor. Um, and so the most recent research, and there's a couple of different articles out there, um, 
Both are in the British Journal of Medicine. One of them looks at for how long after pregnancy and delivery could a woman potentially experience difficulty or symptoms with her pelvic floor. Now that could be urinary incontinence, pain with sex, prolapse, diastasis recti, a multitude of things that they looked at. Um, and the research showed 18 months. Wow. So that means that our tissues are still undergoing healing and undergoing change for 18 months after we have the baby. Then you have to think if you have, if you get pregnant again within that 18 month period, then that's even longer. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that doesn't mean that you can't get back to doing everything that you want to do. It just means that you're going to have to do so at the appropriate pace, at the appropriate time and with the appropriate modifications. The second really important article shows that the, the tissues really aren't ready to sustain high level activity, like running, powerlifting, crossfitting, orange theory, things like that until at least 12 weeks postpartum. And if you think about it, like in my orthopedic background brain, I'm like, well, that would be the case for like an ACL repair or a shoulder surgery or things like that. You know, so it's like blows my mind that that makes sense to us for other connective tissues, but not for our pelvic floor. So um, just know that if you're getting wanting to get back to things like that, you really need to not be like going after it until 12 weeks now. That doesn't mean you can't be in the gym at all. It just means that you need to do so with modification mm -hmm. um, and very, very, very gradually. And, and that's a big, I'll just give my plug. That's a big part of what I do, right? So like a lot of the clientele that I'm seeing, I'm seeing for childbirth prep and then I'm seeing them again after um, to kind of get them back into the CrossFit gym or get them back to running or things like that. And a lot of the, um, we offer virtual sessions too. So a lot of the virtual sessions I'm doing are kind of like virtual coaching on like, okay, now you're okay to do this. And now you're okay to do that. And let's progress to this sort of mm -hmm. thing. So that's my other big takeaway is give yourself grace, uh, both emotional grace and physical grace. It took a long time for your body to grow that human and you have undergone a massive change and it's going to take some time to get back to feeling like yourself and that's normal and that's okay. Yeah. It's an interesting, um, that postpartum period because it's like, also in the CrossFit scene for like, I am also, so going back to, you know, box jumps, double unders, like the mm -hmm. high impact things. Yeah. It was such a mental, like it was just very yeah. mental because you know, you, oh, yeah. you just take this time off and you think like, okay, I should be, I was doing, you know, so many things so easily, right. but it's like, actually I'm going to step down. Yeah. And I'll, you know, I'll jump up and I'll step down. I'm not going to rebound. I'm just going to step. And I think that it really takes, which for me, and I think that a lot of women that I've met recently with COVID happening, mm -hmm. it's been really nice to not actually yeah. go to a gym because yes. there's no competition. It's just you yeah. and yourself. And I think for me, it's been a huge blessing because I am competitive. So I'll go and I'm like, and I wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have been able to control myself. So it's actually yeah. been amazing to just work out by myself like yeah not have to you know prove anything just yep. do my singles or you know whatever yeah and i think it's really hard too for a lot of women who are in that environment because oftentimes we have to modify even more postpartum than we did during pregnancy so we're like wait i was doing this when i was pregnant fine but I can't do it now. Mm -hmm. um, and so I find that a lot. I find that we actually need to modify more 
postpartum than we do during pregnancy for a lot of these like CrossFit style um, workouts. And and that's okay. And, and this is like my last little thing is I know for a lot of people who are into sort of group fitness, um, the community is a big part of why they're drawn to that type of mm-hmm. activity. Um, and so I always, I always tell patients, if you can assure me that you can go to your gym and still engage with all your friends or, or people and COVID times is different, but um, if you can ensure to me that you can go and just do these little physical therapy exercises that I'm giving you, but not feel compelled to like get in the Metcon or whatever, I'm okay with you going back to the gym. If you're somebody who's really going to want to compete and push yourself and things like that, you need to do all this stuff at home um, until you're ready to go in and be like, okay, I'm okay modifying and that's fine. Totally. It is, it is, uh, as much as that community is wonderful in this little phase, these months, these few months postpartum, you really gotta, you know, just do it by yourself or whatever. Definitely. And it is, you know, it's funny because it's so true how like literally up until I had my little one, I was doing everything. Yep. Box jumps, double unders, yep. rope climb, whatever. Yep. And then postpartum, no. You're like, oh, yeah. that's not happening. <laughs> so, but that's why I think it's so interesting is like society has it. Flip-flops. Yeah. Why, and I don't understand. Only when you get there do you realize, mm-hmm. oh, now the journey's starting. Now it's hard. Now yeah. this is when. So I, and I always tell, you know, women that I are, that are having babies or that are pregnant that like, because they always say, oh, I'm almost at the finish line. I'm always going to, and I'm like, and you're like no. no, you're at the starting line. You're just starting. So make yeah. sure you're working out, make sure you're taking care of yourself throughout that whole pregnancy, lift, you know, do things to strengthen yourself because you're going to want that strength. Oh yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, She's like, mom, someone's home. Um, Okay, so website, social media, uh, anything else you want to share? Um, so website is thevaginawhisperer.com. Uh, that has access to, we have some online courses that you can take. Some are childbirth prep, some are postpartum recovery, um, some are related to diastasis recti recovery. So we've got some great online courses. we got some great blog posts on there. Um, we also have the signups for in-person um, sessions if you're local to New Orleans. If you're non-local, we have virtual consultations. Um, if you'd like a virtual consultation specifically for like CrossFit guidance, um, Melissa Stendhal is our one of our online pe- therapists who um, does a lot of that. And then I can do that too. Um, I don't have online sessions set up right now just because I'm primarily in the clinic, but I can do um, online sessions easily. You just have to email me. Mm-hmm. Um, my email is emily at nolapelvichealth.com. Cool. Uh, my my coworker and, and mentor is Sarah at nolapelvichealth.com. Um, she is the Vagina Whisperer uh, on Instagram, and I am Emmy Mac PT, E M M I E M A C P T. Perfect. Um, my. <laughs> My Instagram has been a little lacking lately because my husband is on a year-long military deployment and I am, like, in survival mode. (laughs) Um, But now that we're past the holidays, I'm, like, feeling energized and and better. So um, I should be getting some more content up uh, as we go. So Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. and um, Thank you so much for having me. My absolute pleasure. Of course. This is how we get 
to the point where it is talked about and it is understood is that um, people like you do things like this and, and make it known. So thank you. Thank you. But seriously, it was such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, yeah, it was a pleasure talking to you too.